You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Good. Awesome. I want to thank all of you who braved the snow this morning and uh, joined us here live. And uh, we do want to welcome everybody that is watching online today. Uh, We're so glad that we have that venue to welcome us all together to, to grow stronger in our faith when we can't all be together. So if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Lance, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at, at Calvary. And this morning, we want to conclude the series we've been in all month uh, entitled Hybrid. And what we've been talking about this month is God's desire for us to grow deeper and wider as a community and for our community at the same time. Deeper in our personal faith and wider in our influence, expanding our borders beyond just what happens within these four walls, that God has something greater for us than just coming here on a Sunday morning. And over the past 30 days, we've talked about a lot of different topics as we've kind of worked our way through this. We've talked about growth, uh, grace, discipleship. We talked about messy authenticity. We've talked about patterns and imitation and last week overflow. And the reason we've looked at all of those topics because what we're endeavoring to do is we're trying to find a balance, a biblical balance of what it looks like to be a church in 2021. And I'm the caboose of the series this morning, if you will, and I'm tasked with the job of tying all of that together and attempting to answer the question, can we really do both and? Can we really accomplish all of the things we talked about in one place? Can we really do these things simultaneously? Well, I was so inspired last week by Nick's pinata. I mean, what pastor has not wanted to come up on stage with a bat in their hand? Like, that is like, ha! Like, just the opportunity to deliver a little bit of Old Testament justice every once in a while, right? I'm kidding. 98% kidding. But all the sweetness that was littered all over this stage got me thinking about a phrase my mom used to say to me all the time when I was growing up, and you've probably heard it too. You can't have your and you can't have your cake and eat it too. And it's kind of a funny little phrase, and you know, It sounds pretty self-explanatory, but this week I I did a little bit of research because it turns out it wasn't actually my mom's wisdom. Do you know that this statement is almost 500 years old? Almost 500 years old. You have to go all the way back to March 14th, 1538, when Thomas, Duke of Norfolk, in a letter to Thomas Cromwell, and if you don't know who that is, think King Henry VIII, 
because he was one of his main guys. He wrote in the letter, a man cannot have his cake and eat his cake. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Proverb literally means you cannot simultaneously retain your cake and eat it. Once the cake is eaten, it's gone. What the phrase literally means, you can't have it both ways. You can't have the best of both worlds. So, I'll lift this up. Yes, I'll lift this up to you, Lord. I lift my cup, Lord. Right, right. This is a piece of raspberry almond tort cake. It's white on the inside. It's got some raspberry. Oh, can you see that? Can you see that little? I don't know if you can see it. I have a confession to make, actually. I'm not a sweet eater. My wife's here, she'll tell you, I'm not a sweet eater. So right now I'm literally suffering for the cause of Christ. <laughs> like, like, these next few moments are gonna be so painful, you won't even imagine. Oh, wow. And all of you in the sanctuary right now are envious and all the people at home are walking to their kitchen. <laughs> that is so good. I would have brought you some if not for COVID. I promise. I promise. And, and you know what? For the sake of time, I'm not going to eat this whole cake right now. But I'll eat at least half of it. <laughs> Because, man, that's good. But (laughs) if I kept taking bites of this, in about 30 seconds, it would all be gone, right? And the little proverb, you can't have your cake and eat it too, would be true right before your eyes. Once the cake is eaten, it is gone. And it got me thinking this. Really inspired by Nick last week with the sweetness, I thought about this, but can the church have its cake and eat it too? Can we grow intensely deep in faith? Like intensely, in a time, in a year, when faith doesn't seem to be as important, can we grow intensely deep in faith and at the same time grow immensely wide in influence? Can we be a hybrid? Can we have the best of both worlds? And can I just submit as a little statement before we dive into this, I actually think this truth, being immensely deep and immensely wide, is one of the silent struggles of the modern church. I think it's one of the areas where we know we really do need to do this, 
but we struggle with it. And I'm not judging in that statement or belittling. I'm just saying, as I've looked over, as I spent 25 years in full-time ministry, I've been a Christian for almost 40 years, this is a struggle. I mean, we would all admit this morning, we would all agree, we're for evangelism. We know we need to reach the lost. We know if we don't reach the lost that something terrible is ultimately gonna happen to them. We are for evangelism. But we also, and we would also say, we're for discipleship. We know we need to grow in our faith. We know we need to have a deeper relationship. But what happens many times is these two things that were meant to complement one another end up competing with one another. Instead of working in tandem, they work against each other. Let me illustrate it. And what I tend to see and what I've seen is that two types of churches actually are emerging in our modern culture. Two types of churches emerging in the world that we live in right now. I'll just label the first one a messy church. This is a very outward-focused church going wider and wider and wider. We use phrases or words like seeker-sensitive church or attractional church. Uh, it's very community-facing and outreach-driven. And everything hangs on the banner of grace. We just want to love people. We don't judge. We'll do anything short of sin to see people be saved. And it's kind of a banner, for lack of better terminology. It can be a messy church. The other type of church, I would just label this way, a maintenance church. This church, uh, not outward driven, but very inward focused, wanting to go deeper. There's a strong sensitivity to the scriptures and there's an intentionality about growth, uh, Christian facing and program driven. And everything here hinges or hangs on the banner of truth. We stand for truth. We just want people to love God. We got to inspect their fruit. We stay as far away from sin as possible, including the people who do. And what happens is the messy church and the maintenance church become very entrenched. And believe it or not, even though we hold these two values very highly, these two values can actually end up in conflict against one another. One says they're right and they're wrong. Sometimes you can even have factions within one body. You can have factions within one church or like, I don't know why we're doing that. I don't know why we're allowing that. I don't know why people don't see it the way I see it. And there can be this intersection between this messy church and this maintenance church. And it's what causes a lot of churches to stagnate, to not reach their potential, and to sometimes ultimately split. There's aspects of a messy church that we should really embrace. There's aspects of a missional church or a maintenance church that we should ultimately embrace. But I believe that third option, not messy, not maintenance, 
But missional is the heart of Jesus for the church. Missional church is a marriage between everything the first church does with abandon and everything the second church does with abandon. A few weeks ago, Pastor Pete talked about incarnation over imitation. It was a great message. And it's something that we should strive for as people of faith. This incarnation in our faith instead of a a behavior modification or an imitation. Well, this word incarnation literally describes the birth of Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, it's a word that is tied. It was his incarnation, his arrival to earth. Uh, Literally, the word incarnation by Webster's is a concrete or actual form. When God became man, he became incarnate. Spirit took on human form. Jesus said, if you have seen me, what? You have seen the Father. In seeing the visible form of me, now you have a knowledge of the invisible God. Incarnation. Jesus, God's Son, God in the flesh. And when we turn to John chapter 4, the fourth, or John chapter 1, the fourth gospel, we really get a fascinating understanding of this incarnation that God was talking about and Jesus was alluding to. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this. And the word, word being used there for Jesus, logos, uh, became flesh and dwelt among us. It's really a great phrase. I don't have a lot of time to go into it, but it literally means he went tenting or camping among us. That Jesus came here and set up a temporary place uh, to live, much like we do when when we go camping. And then I love what it says. And we beheld his glory. When we saw God in the flesh, we were like, Wow, can that really be? We beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten one of God. Like what we saw in Jesus was like nothing else uh, that was ever seen. It was an incarnation of God himself. And then he says this. Full, full of grace and truth. That the incarnate Christ was full of grace and truth. Now we have to be careful when we read this. Because I think sometimes when we read this, we put a human spin on it. And what I, what I mean by that is we read he was full of grace and truth and we assume he was 50-50. We assume it was 50% grace and 50% truth. Uh, you do your half and I'll do my half, much like we do in a lot of our relationships, right? Uh, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But listen, Jesus was not uh, 50-50. It wasn't a proposition. He was 100% both. He was 100% grace all the time. His attitudes and actions were consistently driven by love. Do you understand that? Like all you have to do is open up the gospels and you'll see that he was a hundred percent great, consistently driven by grace. 
whether it was a woman at a well in John chapter 4 who was a Samaritan he wasn't even supposed to speak with. She had been married five times and now she's living with the sixth. Uh, he's not even supposed to talk to her, let alone do anything or go near her. And he sits down and it's a conversation about eternal life and what it means uh, to worship God. And a few chapters later in John chapter 8, a woman caught in the very act of adultery is getting ready to get the brutal stoning uh, that was what was not grace during that time, right? That was truth during that time. And yet, he who is without sin. Or the chief tax collector who was short in stature, but steep in sin, who climbed a tree to get a closer look at Jesus because he didn't dare to walk through the crowd because he was hated. That was as the closest look that he could get or the 10 lepers. And you gotta read the Bible and you really gotta, the Bible's a fascinating book. If you're not reading, you're missing out on so much. But it says the 10 lepers, they stood at a distance. Why'd they do that? Because that's what they always had to do, right? Because if you got near them, what was the phrase? Unclean, unclean. Yet Jesus, you see, we could go story after story after story, but Jesus was 100% grace. He deeply loved those everyone else ridiculed and avoided. So much, so much was Jesus' affection for and his affinity with the messy outcasts of culture. Guess what? Our Savior gained a reputation for his grace. You know what his reputation was? Matthew 19 says he's a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of, listen, so much was the extent of his grace that his reputation was tied to the people he hung out with. In Luke chapter 15, the religious people, they looked at Jesus and all this time he spent with them, and it says the teachers of the law, they muttered. Is muttering generally a positive thing? Like if you're having an argument with your spouse, and it's almost to an end, and one of you is walking away, and then it's, is that generally a positive thing? Okay, we got a bunch of people that don't want to get in trouble apparently this morning. <laughs> Muttering's not a positive thing. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Luke chapter 19, it wasn't just the religious people not just the leaders, all the people saw this and began, and this is going back to the tax collector, Zacchaeus of the tree, same passage. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Listen, everywhere Jesus walked, he was grace, 100%. And you know what grace did? Grace made him a guest because grace will always make you a guest. When you really love people, whether they're a leper that's unclean, a sinner that's been married five times and is an outcast from everyone, listen, grace will always make you a guest. 
You cannot read the New Testament. You cannot peer into the life of Jesus and not feel deeply his commitment to extravagant mercy and unconditional love. He was full of grace. But he was also full of truth. Out of his own mouth to his despairing disciples in John chapter 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He was making a bold declarative statement that there's only one way to a relationship with God, and I am the way, and I am the truth. You see, everybody today wants truth to be a relative thing, right? We have absolute truth for science and mathematics uh, and all of these mortality. Everybody dies. But you know what we don't like absolute truth for? Spirituality. Morality. We can have absolute truth in all these other areas, but we don't want it when it comes to spirituality or morality. Listen, we want to study truth. We don't want to be studied by it. We want to study truth, but we don't want to be studied by it. Jesus said, I am the truth 100% of the time. And then on over 70 occasions in the New Testament, he said, I tell you the truth. I am the truth and I tell you the truth. He was full of truth. Matthew 22 says, teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one. For you are not partial to any. Jesus, we know you don't tell people what they want to hear. You tell them what they need to know. You tell them 100% truth. Even when it's painful. Even when it's unpleasant. Jesus definitely was 100% grace. But he is also definitely 100% truth. And John 80 said, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. He said, choices outside of the truth of God are sin, and sin makes you a slave. He spoke the truth without compromise. He spoke out strongly regarding sin. And guess what? Guess what happened when he spoke the truth strongly? They wanted to kill him. This man that was 100% grace, when he, when he was also 100% truth, they wanted to kill him for it. John chapter 7 says, at that point, some of the people in Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? In John chapter 8, verse 40, but as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth uh, which I heard from God. Listen, Jesus did not bend to culture. He did not bend to consensus. He did not bend to social or political climate. He was fully committed to the truth. Why? Why was Jesus 100% grace, but also 100% truth? Why was he so committed to truth? Well, you know, he said, and you will know the truth, 
and the truth will set you free. You see, grace may make you a guest, but only truth brings freedom and forgiveness. Grace can draw a crowd, but you need truth to create a church. Grace will always draw a crowd, but truth is necessary to create a church. Jesus was a hundred percent of both. He was reckless in the minds of everyone who saw him. He was reckless with grace, but he was also righteous with truth. And these are just a few small snippets of how he interacted consistently in his incarnate on earth. But make no mistake, he came under a banner, a banner of grace. He came under a banner of truth. He lived full of grace and truth. He died. He died. He hung on a cross full of grace, full of truth. And his parting words as he left this planet were a hundred percent grace and a hundred percent truth. You see, Jesus didn't call us simply to be a messy church. He didn't call us to be a maintenance church. He called us to be missional. He has a mission. And even better than just calling us to be missional, he invited us. Isn't that so amazing? He invited us uh, to partner with him in that mission. What that really means is he invited us to be like him. uh, That his last words on this planet to his disciples, uh, we know them as the great co-mission, the great partnership together. He said in Matthew 28, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What's he saying there? I have the final word. All authority rests with me. It always has been since the very beginning and it always was. All authority is in my hands. Therefore, go and make disciples. Go and make people who imitate through incarnation the kind of life that I've lived. You know, discipleship starts with decision, right? Uh, And decision's never going to happen if a church isn't full of grace. Uh, Decision comes through grace. Discipleship comes through truth. He says, teaching them, right? Uh, He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son. Immerse them completely in who I am. Let them know fully the love of the Father, the love of the Son, the love of the Holy Spirit. Bring them to a place of decision, to discipleship, and teaching them to obey. What's that word? Everything. This is where it gets sticky, doesn't it? This is where it gets challenging. Because we want discipleship to fit what we think Christianity should look like. But he said, teach them to obey everything I have commanded. And then you got to love his last words, right? And surely 
I am with you, even to the very end of the age. He came incarnate. He came full of grace and truth. He lived it. He died it. He resurrected into it. And guess what? He invites us into that partnership. Jesus is committed to this mission, to the very end of time. 100% grace, 100% truth. And he wants the same for our lives. Now, I know the next thing I'm going to say is a huge revelation. We are not Jesus. That's shocking to you, isn't it? Look at your neighbor real quick and say, you are not Jesus. Even if you're at home in your pajamas on your couch, Jason, you are not Jesus. Jamie, I expected an amen there. Wow, that was, uh, that was your opportunity. We, we're not Jesus. I'm not. You're not. Listen, he was incarnate. He embodied this because it was his nature. It was, I dare say, it was effortless for him to be this. Because it was a part of who he was. But you know what? We really have to work at this. We really have to work at this. Because it is not our nature to be 100% grace and to be 100% truth. We have to work at this as he works in us uh, to be a church that really loves people in our community that most would say, how could they even go in the door of the house of God? We have to be a church also that loves holiness and purity and grows deep in discipleship. Listen, culture will try and get us to water down the truth culture will try. They try every day to get us to water down the truth. But also, guess what? Religion will get us to try to get us to tighten up on grace. The world's always going to try to get us to get away from the truth. And religion tries to get us to let up on grace. And according to what I read in the scriptures, we're to be 100% of both of those. It's not a 50-50 proposition. It's not a 25-75. It's not a 75-25. It's a 100-100. But we got to work at it. We got to work at it. And my challenge to you as we end this message this morning is where are you in the spectrum? Like if you lined up grace right here and truth right here, where do your percentages fall? That's the response for you from this. Where do the percentages fall? Are you a 90 gracer and a 10 truther? Are you an 80 truther and a 20 grace? Listen, you know why we like 50-50 propositions? Because they're more comfortable. And compromise is always more comfortable. You know why? Because compromise doesn't demand anything. Compromise doesn't demand anything. Listen, God 
His son Jesus didn't call us to a watered-down version of anything. He called us to be in a mission with him of hybrid faith where we can have our cake and eat it too, where we can be 100% grace, 100% truth. So as we close, let's take our inventory this morning. Where are you personally with this today? Take church out of the equation for a minute. Where are you personally with this? As you look at the lens of your Christianity, which way do you lean? Which way do you bend? Which way do you drift? Because once you can kind of begin to figure that out, it's going to help you answer the next couple questions a lot easier, which is, where are you in the context of the church? Because usually where you are personally is what bleeds out into the church that you're looking for or that you're a part of. And let's take it one step further. What does this mean for you in the context of Calvary? Because God wants us to be in harmony as a body, 100% pulling together for one mission. Father, I thank you so much. Jesus, I thank you so much that you came the way that you did. That you were reckless with grace. And I don't mean that in any way that is disrespectful, but you were extravagant. When everybody else was looking around, say, how can he do that? How can he do that? How can he talk to that person? How can he be like that? How can he sit with that? You did it. I'm thankful that you came that way because that's what I need. I need a God that's 100% grace. I need a God that's willing to see me for who I am and all of my flaws and all of my brokenness and you keep reaching. But I'm so glad that you're 100% truth because that truth reaches down to the dark, deep, broken places of me and begins a transformation process. God, I thank you personally for how you came. 100% grace, 100% truth. And God, I pray that you would continue to work in my heart. I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts. And God, I pray as a church, as individuals, and as a collective body, whether we're in these seats this morning or we're in our living rooms, our homes, in our cars, God, that you would bring us together, Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. And God, that we would be a church that is missional, that we are 100% grace and 100% truth, that we would work together as you work in us to make eternal change for the glory of God, that we would be be a part of that great commission, God, that great partnership. It is amazing grace. It is incredible grace. Not only that we get to experience it firsthand, but we get to give it away. God, I pray that you would let us do that. Let us be your hybrid church, 100%. Everything you want us to be. For your glory and for your honor, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. 
This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 